Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. You know, I think I am going to have to remember the fire alarms um, the next time that I am preaching on hell. Uh, Make you start thinking about fire. Uh, I am... I am actually uh, preaching on a topic that might be, is somebody really doing that? Um, That might be as unpopular as hell. Uh, I am preaching the second of a three-sermon series on giving. Uh, Let's go to the Lord and uh, ask him to be our teacher. Oh, Lord, our God, we, um, we, we have a, a, a reminder of what a privilege it is to hear your word. Uh, give me your help and your people your help that uh, we might be able to focus and press through and hear your word. Uh, make us more like Jesus, even in our generosity, we pray in his name. Amen. You know, I have not preached on giving as much as I should as a pastor. And uh, I think it's good that we're going to spend three weeks looking at giving as we have been looking at the parable of the dishonest manager. I think one of the reasons uh, why I have not felt... um, 
this overwhelming compel, uh, compulsion to preach on giving is that um, those who started this church uh, were so wise and faithful and creative in the way that they went about uh, funding the building and purchase of this property that uh, even though we have ten beautiful acres and and these different buildings, uh, we owe nothing on um, any building plans. Uh, you know, I, I've heard the stories of how... Uh, they came to find this land, and as they purchased the land, the purchaser was so happy that they were purchasing it. If I understand the story right, they sold the little building up in front of the property uh, to us for a dollar. They were so happy that, uh, that um, this property was going to be used um, for a church. And then... Uh, they got together, they uh, put together the plans, and the congregation built these this sanctuary. I can't imagine that my wife would have let me up in the rafters uh, to, uh, to build uh, this sanctuary, but uh, the congregation essentially built, uh, did everything they could in terms of their own labor as well as uh, different other of the buildings around here. Uh, there was, um, I, I wouldn't mention um, this, except Rip uh, Darden uh, has, has gone on to be with the Lord ahead of us. In terms of being creative and faithful in the way we use our wealth, he started a little... Um, a fund, uh, equity fund, I guess it would be. We call it our capital improvements fund. And I don't know if he was giving his tithes. I don't know where the money was coming from, but that we would have this fund. And when I first got here, it was about fifty, sixty thousand. 60,000. It grew up to 150,000, grew up to 250,000, I think, at one point. Um, and so when we had to replace uh, all the roofs on all the buildings and both air conditioning units back here for the sanctuary at the same time, it wasn't that big a deal. Uh, we, were, we were quite, uh, we, we were wondering, how are we going to pay for this? And through his creative generosity, it was... Um, we didn't really uh, skip a beat, and just so thankful for uh, Rip and and others in our congregation uh, that um, are so faithful. I could I could mention other um, examples, but uh, but those examples are are still living here in the congregation and. Um, I, so I, I don't want to let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Typically, I don't know what's happening with the giving. Uh, your, your giving does not come, it does not appear before me. I don't want it to appear before me. We have, um, we have a treasurer, an assistant treasurer, uh, that 
um, look at your giving in, in order that the, the, the deposits can be made, and we have two for accountability purposes, but um, the, the session or no one else sees what your giving is. So um, we're going to look at tithing this morning. And last week we looked specifically at the parable of the dishonest manager. And in verse 8, Jesus surprised us by saying that his followers, the sons of light, are not very shrewd in using our money. Jesus said the world is very shrewd in, in its pursuit of wealth. It gets great energy and practices careful planning and how to seek after temporal prosperity. But for whatever reason, Christ followers do not give that same concern for how we use our wealth for eternal purposes. And so listen to Jesus again in verses 8 and 9. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. I mentioned last week that over the past 30 years, uh, in the United States, the, por- the portion of charitable giving going to churches dropped from 52% to 32% over the past 30 years. And that the average Christian gives uh, 2.5% of their income to the church versus 3.3% that was given to the church during the Great Depression. If those numbers are correct, it would suggest that Jesus is correct, that we are not only poor at handling our wealth for eternal purposes, but we're getting worse. Jesus says that we are poor at using our wealth for eternal purposes. So I don't think that I can move on from this passage without having us consider how we can better use our wealth for eternal purposes. Last week I made the case that uh, the starting point for how we use our money for eternal purposes uh, should start by our giving to the church. The Lord Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. The church is... Uh, an eternal institution, it will not pass away even though everything else in this world will pass away. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It is legitimate to give to missionaries. It's legitimate even to give to parachurch organizations and so forth. But the starting point for Christian giving should be to the church. Now the question is, how should you give to the church? Well, I believe you should start with the principle of the tithe. The word tithe means tenth. I believe that the principle of the tithe is taught in the Bible. However, I readily acknowledge that many Christians will disagree with me. 
I read several papers, several small books uh, this week on both sides of the issue. And I'll tell you, I do not like uh, addressing theological controversies, uh, point and counterpoint of a theological issue in a sermon. But um, I believe it may prove helpful for us to give about five minutes or so to the two sides of the debate about tithing. Uh, Most arguments against tithing start with the following observations. First, since we are no longer under the old covenant uh, that God made with Israel, um, or we are not under those old covenant laws, uh, those old covenant ceremonies, therefore the laws such as tithing no longer apply to us. Uh, tithing, it is said, is part of the ceremonial and civil laws of Israel, and so they're no longer binding on believers under the new covenant. And the argument goes like this. Once Jesus died on the cross, the old covenant became obsolete. And then secondly, it is said that there, there is no New, Testa- new Testament command to continue tithing. Uh, now, so... And that's a very broad and oversimplified um, argument for, that people make for no tithing. Um, most arguments in favor of tithing begin uh, the case by noting that tithing existed in the, um, uh, well before the law was given to Moses. That Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, the priest of God, uh, most high. Uh, so they, they would say that um, because it predated Moses, therefore it is assumed that it continues uh, on into the new covenant because it predated Moses. It's granted that there's no explicit command to tithe in the New Testament. Uh, where the word tithe is used. Frankly, there's only four places in the in the New Testament where the word appears. Hebrews chapter 7, it mentions that Abraham paid the tithe to Melchizedek. In Luke 18 verse 12, the Pharisee who compares himself to the tax collector, remember the Pharisee up at the front of the church, tax collector at the back of the church. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like that poor tax collector at the back. Uh, I uh, I tithe Every week, and he goes on, and, and so that's where he mentions tithes. And then the last two mentions of the, the actual word tithe um, is found in Matthew 23, verse 23, and its parallel passage in Luke chapter 42. And this is where Jesus calls down the woes on the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And these last two passages are interesting Because Jesus says that the the Pharisees should pay the tithe, but should also give attention to the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So I'll read it real quickly. Jesus says, this is in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. 
But there's one passage in the New Testament that strangely many of the books against tithing did not mention. But this one, uh, this one passage settles it for me. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? What is Paul describing here? Well, he's describing the tithe. The, the, the priest in the temple uh, received their, uh, their living through the tithe that was brought in uh, to the temple. And then he says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. It doesn't mention the word tithe, but um, Paul is reminding the Corinthians that God had set up a system in which Levites who worked in the temple should live off their tithes that were brought into the temple. It was an elaborate system, many details, and that system has surely passed away. You don't pay uh, your tithes with goats or with, um, with fruit that you've picked from your garden. Uh, that, uh, that system has passed away, but the principle remains. That's why Paul says, in the same way. Because he is talking about the tithe, and he says the principle of the tithe still remains. In fact, Paul says, in the same way that the Lord commanded in, in uh, verse 14. So, whatever we think about what Paul is talking about, he is saying that the Lord has commanded it. Uh, John Piper um, in his ex- explanation of this uh, passage, I think he uh, hit the nail on the head. He says, the least Paul is saying is that those who spend their lives in the service of the Word of God should be supported by the rest of Christians. But since he draws attention to the, to the way it was done in the Old Testament as the model, it seems that tithing would have been the Christian guideline, if not the mandate. In other words, when we tithe today, we honor a principle and plan of God that sustained the ministry in the Old Testament and sustained uh, the New Testament ministry as well. Now, because there is widespread controversy about the principle of tithing, I don't want to bind your conscience regarding the ongoing relevance of the tithe. We saw in Matthew 23, in fact, Jesus said that tithing was not one of the weightier matters, that justice, mercy, and faithfulness were of more weight than um, paying the tithe. So there, I want to assure you there is room for disagreement on this issue, but if you agree with me that the principle of the tithe Uh, continues, then your conscience is indeed bound to the Lord. So the question becomes, if you believe in the tithe, are you faithfully giving a tenth of your increase to the work of the gospel, 
Or are you being unfaithful in this area of your life? R.C. Sproul quotes a statistic that says that only 4% of Christians return a tithe to the Lord. Obviously, a much higher percentage of Christians give, but he says only 4% return a tithe to the Lord. Only only 4% of Christians return 10%. Now, let's say that you do not... that you do not agree with the principle of the tithe. Well, then what does the Bible say about uh, percentages of giving in the New Testament? Does the Bible address percentages of giving at all? Well, in Luke 3, verse 11, Jesus said, Whoever has two tunics should do what? Give one away. Um, That's 50%. Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus told the young rich ruler, If you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That's 100%. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, Paul said to the Macedonians, or said of the Macedonians, he said, uh, the Macedonians in a severe test of affliction Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And of course, I'm reminded, as maybe you are as we're talking of the subject of the poor widow in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. She gave 100%, and Jesus commended her for it. You know, an, an economist might look uh, at an offering of a penny and barely recognize it. But in God's, opinion, God's economy, it's just the opposite. Jesus singles her out for her faith. As Jamie Dunlap says, Every time you give, you are making a statement that God is better than anything else you could have done with that money. The poor widow obviously valued God and his kingdom more than anything else, even her own life. Now, from these passages, I think it's clear that the New Testament sees the principle of the tithe, the principle of 10%, as just a starting point. If you don't believe in the tithe, then that's fine. But the scripture, the New Testament, talks about a principle of generosity that I think exceeds 10%. 
and the fact that we are in the New Testament era, in the fact that we live on this side of the cross, in the fact that we understand the, the grace of our Lord Jesus so much better than the Old Testament saints, would it not stand to reason that the generosity that God looks for in us would exceed those of the Old Testament saints? John Blanchard says, The tithe is not meant to be a ceiling at which we stop giving, but a floor from which we start. Now at this point, you'd probably like to hear some simple direction on how we should give. Paul says that we should plan our giving. Uh, We're not just to reach in our wallet, see a few bills, pull, pull them out, and throw them in the offering plan. He, he, sa- he says that we should plan. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The idea is, ahead of time, you sit down and you carefully plan, what am I going to give to the Lord? And you want to do it um, uh, with a cheerful heart. In other words, with a heart that is in love for Christ and desirous to show his glory through your giving. And this passage also says that we should do so as an act of worship. Not under compulsion, not reluctantly. And 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2 supports this idea that it's to be done in connection with worship. Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. The church met on Sundays, the first day of the week. Instead of the seventh day, why does the church meet on the first day of the week? Because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. So we meet on the Lord's day. And Paul instructed their giving to be uh, an expression of corporate worship. He said, set aside um, on the first day of the week, set aside each of you uh, something and store it up as he may prosper. So Paul says here, as we may prosper, it's to be done in proportion to our income. We should give as we prosper. I think this means that making a budget is an aspect of your sanctification. You've got to know how you're prospering in order that you might know how to give. If you're not keeping a budget, frankly, I think you'd be surprised at how much money is being squandered without providing you much benefit, uh, much less any benefit to the kingdom of God. It might seem spiritual to be less concerned about money. Money doesn't rule my life. I barely think about it since I can't take it with me after I die, you might be tempted to say. But Jesus would say to you, The sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light. There are some general principles of budgeting that might help you. 
your total housing expenses should not exceed 36% of your income. Uh, Your automobile expenses should not exceed 15% of your income. And these are two of the biggest uh, areas of, of a budget and it's, frankly, two of the areas that we make our biggest mistakes uh, in the budget. And where you, make one, where you make a mistake in one part of the budget, you know what happens to the rest of the budget? It's affected as well. Uh, you've got to rob Peter to pay Paul if you're spending too much money on your housing or on your, your vehicle. And sadly... Giving to God is the first place that gets robbed in a typical budget when you're not making ends meet. So I've said all this about tithing, but I realize very well that I very well may be missing the heart of the matter. In fact, we're going to talk about this next week. Uh, I read a quote from um, an old issue of Christianity Today, and the the quote was by a guy named James Williams. He said, Our people, 45 years and old and younger, have grown up mesmerized by materialism. There's a tremendous pressure on families to spend, spend, spend. We can talk about tithing, we can talking about talk about giving to God all day long, but if materialism is your master, then this message will not, will not penetrate your heart. As Jesus said here in our passage in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. As I said, we'll revisit this next week. When it comes to giving, where should we start Should we start with 10%? Should we start with more? Where we should start is start with God. God is the great giver in the universe. God gave his own son for us. He gave his son to that awful cross. He gave his son to be nailed to that cross in order that he might pour out his eternal wrath on his son. The wrath that our sins deserved, the Father poured out on His Son because He loves us so much. God is the great giver. And when He commands us to give to His kingdom, when He calls us to be wise, even creative, as the sons of men with our, as He calls it in verse 9, our unrighteous wealth, you can know that he is doing so because he loves you. It might hurt your heart to give this amount of money or that amount of money. And what it shows is there's something off in your heart. And that God will be faithful to you. Even when you can't see into the next year, into the next decade, if he promises or if he commands you to give and he loves you so much that he gave his son, don't you think that he will, along with his son, graciously 
give you all things. Next week, I think we'll venture into uh, second. Is it next? I'm trying to think, is Jeremy preaching? No, I can't remember either. He probably still have COVID. <laughs> so, um, but next time I preach, we'll venture into Second Corinthians chapter eight and nine. If you want to know more about New Testament giving, this is a good Sunday afternoon assignment. Second Corinthians eight and nine, and uh, and in there it says that God uh, gives us increase of wealth in order that we might be better able to give more away. And so think about that as we, um, as we press forward in terms of giving. I want to conclude, I've gone well over, with 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Peter says, you were ransomed. You were ransomed from what? From your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The Lord Jesus ransomed you. He gave himself for you. And so as you wrestle with God in terms of your giving for his kingdom purposes, look to God, look to the Lord Jesus, look what he gave for you, and remember how much he loves you as he calls you to be faithful in giving. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord our God, we come before you uh, this afternoon through the distractions And we ask that you would help us to uh, be faithful to you, not just in our, um, in our church attendance or in our, uh, belief system, but Lord also, uh, where we live in regard to our money. Lord, help us not to be, uh, like those who are serving two masters drawn in two different directions and make a mess of things, but help us to be mastered by Jesus, and may he have full rule over everything we have and are, even what we would hope to be. We pray in his name. Amen.